Grace 242 family. I'm Danielle Fair, and I'm going to be reading the scripture for today. Our scripture comes from 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, out of the New Living Translation. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the King. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to go to the Grace242 YouTube page. That's youtube.com slash grace242 and watch my Mother's Day message. I hope you have a good Mother's Day, moms, and I hope you have some celebration in your homes. So happy Mother's Day to everyone. Every week across the country, we're seeing heightened responses to the continued stay-at-home orders. In Chicago, the mayor made fiery threats to those who violate lockdown orders. Let's watch. And this is how it's going to be. We will shut you down. We will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you and we will take you to jail. Period. There should be nothing unambiguous about that. Don't make us treat you like a criminal. But if you act like a criminal and you violate the law and you refuse to do what is necessary to save lives in the city in the middle of a pandemic, we will take you to jail. Period. In Michigan, a group of protesters gathered at the Capitol building, rallying against the governor's stay-at-home orders. The optics were particularly poor, as some of them were even armed. But, however, this is funny, they did submit to a temperature check in order to enter the Capitol building. So good on them for being peaceful, I suppose. <laughs> on May 1st, protesters took to Huntington Beach to protest California's continued lockdown orders and the closure of certain beaches. And I show you these events simply to make the point that things are heating up. Many people are reaching their limit as this lockdown continues and the debate on reopening is becoming more and more urgent and heated than ever. Just this past week, Tuesday, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin began hearing arguments on this lawsuit against the governor's continued stay-at-home orders. And from my perspective, I've seen two camps emerging. And they're indicative by this Facebook post that a friend of mine made earlier this week. He linked to this article on the protests around the country, and he made this comment. Why are they protesting against common sense laws? They and those who are protesting are in the minority. A majority of Americans agree with the stay-at-home orders. To which my future brother-in-law responded, maybe because their jobs were taken away and they have families to feed? mortgage and rent payments to keep a roof over their families' heads along with several other bills, not to mention if they haven't been at work, their health insurance has probably run out. On the one side, you have the Lock It Down camp, which is represented by my friend who posted an article asking why are people protesting these things. And on the other hand, you have this Open It Up camp, which is representative of my brother-in-law who said because people are losing their income and their jobs. The Lock It Down camp is one way, the open it up camp is another way. What is the church's third way biblical response? Our response as a church ought to transcend both of these camps. What is our biblical third way? Peter, as we explored last week, starts to paint a picture in this passage of what that third way ought to look like. 
Peter instructs Christians to submit to the government, but at the same time, we don't answer to the government. We answer to God. Peter instructs the church to be servant citizens of the state. But even greater than that, we are servant citizens of the kingdom of heaven, freed by Christ to be God's slaves. And so there's almost this tension between these two things that need to be held at the same time. Servant citizens of the government on one hand, freed slaves of the kingdom of God on the other hand. When I read Peter's instructions, it's obvious that he learned this from his rabbi Jesus. How many times did Peter watch his friend and teacher Jesus respond? In verse 15, Peter says, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Peter says this because he watched Jesus do this. He watched as Jesus was approached by the authorities and teachers of the law who wanted to trap and destroy him. But by the end of the encounter, Jesus left them stunned with nothing to say. How many times did people make accusations against Jesus only to be silenced? I think Peter was remembering Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees in Matthew 22 when he wrote verse 15. Let's look at that encounter in Matthew 22, beginning at verse 15. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now the Pharisees are badly motivated because this is an encounter simply to try to trap Jesus. And when they say, you're impartial, you're fair, you're unbiased, that's all hot air. And Jesus sees right through it. So they craft this no-win question, or what they believe is a no-win question for Jesus. Look at verse 17. They ask, now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now this, they believe, is a no-win situation for Jesus. Because on the one side, if Jesus says, yes, pay your taxes, then he is a colluder with Rome, and Rome is the oppressors over the Jews. And so if he says, yes, pay your taxes, he is colluding with Rome and an enemy of the Jews. But if Jesus says, no, don't pay your taxes, then he is a rebel and an insurrectionist against Rome and a friend of the Jews. And so on the one hand, he can either be a friend of Rome and an enemy of the Jews, or on the other hand, he can be a friend of the Jews and an enemy of Rome, and the Pharisees are just licking their chops, wondering what side he's going to come down on, because they know it's a no-win situation for them, him, and they want to catch him in an answer that would give them grounds to arrest him. But here's Jesus' response. Look at verse 18. But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. And when they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them, and they went away, and I might parenthetically add, with nothing to say, or stunned in silence. Jesus asks them for a coin, and just like we put presidents on our currency, the Romans put Caesar and the emperor on their currency, and he asks, whose face is on this coin? To which the Pharisees answer, Caesar's. 
And then Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. Jesus finds a third way. In many ways, I see this question that the Pharisees ask as the traps or these camps that we could potentially fall into. On either side, there's the lock it down camp, there's the open it up camp. In Jesus' case, there was the friend of Rome or the friend of the Jews. Friend of Rome, enemy of the Jews over here. Friend of the Jews, enemy of Rome over here. Which one is he going to fall into? They're traps, and Jesus didn't fall for the trap. Instead, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And he left them walking away, stunned into silence. You know Peter is remembering this when he writes in verse 15, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. He took the third way. He found the third way response. And this is why this message series is called the Jesus-y Third Way. Now, we've been wondering all along what the church's response ought to be. And rather than prescribe a response, I'm going to pound in some fence posts that are going to establish a playing field for us. And then I'm going to close with someone who I feel is an example of the Jesus-y Third Way. So quickly, some guideposts for our response as a church. Number one, if you're completely aligned with a camp, you're doing it wrong. Now, many of you have told me which camp you're in, and that's good self-reflection. But now, take the time to critically examine everything your camp stands for, and does it pass the scriptural test? We will all tend toward one camp or another, but we need to scrutinize our camp against scripture. If you're not finding areas of disagreement with your camp on scriptural grounds, then you're probably not holding scripture as the highest authority. Number two, if you're focused more on what the other camp is doing, rather than on what God wants to do in and through you during this crisis, you're doing it wrong. Imagine a scale. And on one side of the scale, you're going to place the time and energy you devote to the, what the folks in the opposite camp are doing. And on the other side, you're going to place the time and energy you spend with God. Now, which side is going to weigh more? If condemning the other camp for their actions and stances is grabbing more of your time and attention than God is, then you're doing it wrong. And I'll be the first to admit that I fail in this one. If you were to look at my podcast listening history, way more time would have spent listening to podcasts about news and current events and coronavirus response and national response, way more time would be spent on those podcasts than would be spent on podcasts related to the Bible or podcasts that are sermons or podcasts that are about Christian living. One of the phrases... I've heard from politicians that really disturbs me in all this is never let a good crisis go to waste. We've heard politicians repeat that. And I think that's a sinister and gravely concerning sentiment. But what if we were to take that phrase out of the political realm and apply it to our relationship with Christ? It takes on a completely different meaning. I don't want to let this crisis go to waste when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. This is an opportunity 
for God to mold and shape me into the likeness of his son Jesus. And I don't want to waste that opportunity on current events or the news or expressing outrage at responses that I disagree with. I don't want to let this crisis go to waste because God can use this opportunity to make me more like his son Jesus. Number three, if there's no room for variation between Christians as they respond, you're doing it wrong. Earlier this week, I was talking with my friend Brian Jacobson, and he said, there's got to be room for Christians to respond differently according to their consciences and according to their circumstances. Some of us are going to lock down longer or be more cautious because we have vulnerable people living in our homes. As a church, my friend Jason Brannon's church, Church of Christ Presbyterian, is in a neighborhood of Chicago with one of the highest infection rates. They have some of the highest case counts of COVID. So they're going to lock down much longer than other churches would otherwise. And as Grace 242 looks to reopen, we will follow God's lead into whatever is best for God's church, Grace 242. Those are just a few guideposts for us as we respond. And I'll close this three-part message with someone who I feel lived the Jesus-y third way. I mentioned him before, but Franklin Graham is the president of Samaritan's Purse. And back in March, when the case numbers were spiking and New York City was in dire trouble, Samaritan's Purse was asked if they could do what they do, which is provide relief and aid to New York City. So they set up tent hospitals in Central Park. And as soon as Samaritan's Purse started setting up in Central Park, they drew criticism for their biblical position on marriage. Samaritan's Purse rightfully holds that marriage is between one biological man and one biological woman. And the very fact that Samaritan's Purse holds this view drew criticism. One of the articles that came out as they were setting up shop in New York City read this. The subtitle read, Franklin Graham's religious org has done good around the world, but it's not wrong to question whether his history of bigotry could get in the way of caring for the sick. Now, what's really interesting is just this past week, it came out that Samaritan's Purse was winding down operations and there was actually a group of activists that got them run out of Central Park before they were ready to completely close because of their bigotry. So you had one group of people that was expressing concern or disagreement with Samaritan's Purse because of their biblical views on marriage. And in the midst of their setting up in Central Park and running this tent hospital, he was invited, Franklin Graham was invited to be the guest on a podcast. And the podcast asked Franklin how he would respond to those who are criticizing Samaritan's Purse because of their biblical views. And just like Jesus, Franklin showed no interest in answering that question. It was fascinating. He did not answer that question. He simply said, we will love and we will serve and we will help anyone who comes into our camp because our motivation comes from the love of Jesus that he's shown to us. He simply pointed to Jesus. He was given an opportunity to respond to criticism, and rather than responding to criticism, he simply pointed to the love of Christ. Now, what's really fascinating is that the podcast that hosted Franklin posted the clip of his answer to their Facebook page with this tagline, 
Franklin Graham discusses leftist intolerance. And when I saw that, I thought, no, no. You asked a question about leftist intolerance. But Franklin did not answer that question. He answered by pointing to Jesus. And I show you this because traps were set for Franklin on both sides. One camp set a trap of criticism. The article, Should We Be Concerned About Samaritan Purse's Religious Bigotry? And then the other camp, How Would You Answer Your Intolerant Critics? And in the middle of it all, he simply points to Jesus. This is the Jesus-y third way. This is our response to point to the one who is king over all this, the King of Kings, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ.